Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. Okay, Alyssa, imagine you're stranded on a deserted island and you have to pick one thing to drink for the rest of your life. What would you choose? Haley, I think I'd have to go with Noon Sport watermelon flavor. Nice choice. Personally, I'd opt for the Noon Endurance lemon lime flavor because in my deserted island fantasy, I'm still getting in regular 90-minute workouts. That sounds totally reasonable. The good news is that all Noon Hydration products are made with clean, quality ingredients that are good for your body and the planet. So if you ever find yourself on a deserted island, or maybe just in the middle of a really long training day, you'll be thankful that Iron Women podcast listeners get 30% off all Noon Hydration purchases by using the code IRONWOMEN at NoonLife.com. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for... Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Hi, Haley. So I think at this point last week when we talked to record the episode, we described the current world situation as being in the middle of a heavy backpack race, which for our listeners who may be newer to joining us, uh, that is how we describe multi-day self-supported stage racing here on on the podcast because you carry a heavy backpack in that style of racing. And Haley, you kind of said that you were very meh about about the race at this point so how are you doing this week Alyssa there's probably a good reason why I've never signed up for a heavy backpack race this is not my kind of race I am all about the like I'm about endurance racing but we're talking endurance for like a couple hours not a couple days but I think I'm doing a little bit better which does go to show that things are probably ebb and flowing and we're gonna have some good days and we're gonna have some bad days so when I'm having a bad day I can just like you know, chill out and then hope just let time pass and then maybe a good day will follow it. <laughs> That's where I am. How about you? That's pretty much the secret to success in stage racing from my limited experience with my one self-supported stage race that, yeah, you just kind of hang out through the bad day and hope tomorrow will be better. So I, I do think that's pretty similar. I am doing okay as well. And I did want to give our listeners an, a, one of the biggest updates of in my life that's going on right now is that Haley, my hair looks great. So I've had significant, I know all the listeners are going to think I had like major, major. (laughs) I honestly, okay. I can see you right now. We have actually like, we pre-talked about your hair and it does look great. But with that lead up, (laughs) I was expecting something a little different. I was like, Alyssa's going to break some news here. You're going to like, I'm like, I haven't seen her hands this whole time we've been recording. I was waiting for something big but your hair does look nice not to like make not it's not a letdown you know I'm happy for your hair it it just goes to show the kind of time that we're in that my hair is the biggest news that I can offer you guys right now and but to again to make it applicable to the podcast this is because a few episodes ago we discussed in length um some hair issues and 
how it had been suggested to maybe wash your hair at times with vinegar or apple cider vinegar or vinegar and like that would help me and things like that so we had some input from our into our mailbag from Steph who wrote in to let me know about this um, vinegar product and I've said you know what I'm in quarantine life I have nothing better to do so I did get that product and it's something you only use twice a week, which, so I still do my normal like Zelios shampoo conditioner routine. And then two of those days in between shampooing and conditioner, you add in this vinegar rinse. And Haley, I can tell you that I've been getting compliments on my hair, which has made me feel very good in my limited quarantine life here. But also part of the mystery that we solved here is the fact that I must have hard water in Virginia. And that's why sometimes my hair looks great when I travel to places with soft water. But apparently the whole vinegar thing does something to make hard water better for my hair. So I'm just really excited about this. And it is the biggest news that I have for right now. Is hard water versus soft water like a mineral content is that like a range, the spectrum of some kind of mineral content? I haven't. Yeah, I, ha- I should have probably investigated that. But <laughs> maybe Steph could write in again <laughs> to the mailbag. Steph, Podcast at gmail.com. Please give us more of your wisdom. Well, you can um, get like filters if you live in areas with hard water to make it soft, but they're actually really expensive. That was one thing Steph actually did write in and to say, like, you know, she was kind of like, I'm using this in the meantime until I save up for my filter. And I was like, how much could this filter be and they are they're they're quite expensive so i would say keep your normal routine just throw in a little vinegar rinse twice a week everyone and you'll be pleasantly surprised it's only probably been like a month three weeks since we talked about it and i'm seeing the difference i have a hair story too actually part of my meh feeling last week was because i uh i took a shower last week and then i went downstairs and and it was like raining in my garage (laughs) on the treadmill (laughs) Oh no. And no. so what happened was my shower was leaking. I think it's just a pipe leaking, but it's not really a good time to have a leaking shower. Um, I'm not really super psyched about having a plumber come into my house. I mean, I know that they are essential workers, but it's not that urgent because I actually do have a another shower. So I've been using the guest bathroom, which I don't ever use because I'm always afraid that maybe I'm going to have a guest and I want it to be clean. And so, and I'm a fairly messy person, but there's no guests coming. So I might as well use it. Right. And I also, that shower actually also is where I wash cowboy. And so when it gets dirty, it gets really dirty. So the only shampoo that was in there was cowboy shampoo. And so I just used it and Alyssa I smell like cowboy and it's like, so it makes me, it's like so comforting. I actually, I'm like, I don't know. What kind of a smell is it? Ramona has like a lemon poppy seed dog shampoo. It just smells like clean dog. Like that's what it smells like to me. And I'm like, it's so comforting that now I'm like, I, I'll go back to Zelios eventually, you know, back when I, when I, once I get that shower fixed, once I get, when I'm back in the pool and I need some chlorine removed, but until then, you know, I'm going to smell like a clean dog. No one's giving me compliments, but it comforts me. You can also consider, I mean, I don't know how heavy the drip is, but there have been times when I'm running on the treadmill and I actually would enjoy a little bit of a mist coming down to cool me off. I've, I've been known to like have a bottle that I'm putting on top of my head while I'm running in, on a treadmill, not in a public place, but like in a private treadmill setting. And so, I mean, again, I don't know how bad it is, but maybe you could fasten some sort of a bucket apparatus that like does a slow drip onto you when you need it the most. I'll think about that <laughs> until then I'm a guest in my own house. And actually, uh, Alyssa, this has also made me realize that my guest bathroom is way nicer than like my master bathroom master. It, uh, my condo is very, it, you know, it was built when bathrooms weren't a big deal, I think in, in homes. And so it's master only in that it's attached to the, my bedroom and the guest bathroom is way nicer. And I never realized it because again, I, I try not to use it because I want to keep it clean for all my imaginary guests. And now I've realized that that was just so pointless and I should just like wall off the other bathroom and just use the guest bathroom from now on and just never have any guests. There you go. Problem solved. Boom. Well, I'm glad to hear that you are at least having a better day today and we'll check in again, obviously next week. And in the meantime, through all of these days, Live Feisty has a lot going on. 
I listened to the new Girls Gone Gravel podcast that was just launched last week, and that is hosted by Katherine Taylor and Christy Moan. And Alyssa, I was a little nervous because I have never ridden a gravel bike, and I was like, you know, am I going to be into this? But Catherine is a good friend, and I was like, uh, you know, I can listen to Catherine talk. I know that. So worst case, I'm just listening to Catherine chat for a little bit, and they interviewed Allison Tetrick, and it was actually really, really good, even for me, who who loves the great indoors at the moment. And it was, it made me, I mean, there was a lot of things that I could take away just in that being an athlete or being a human right now. Like Allison is, I actually had never listened, I'd heard of her, but I'd never listened to her on any other podcast. And she has a lot of like good pearls of wisdom in there. And then also it did kind of make me want to try gravel racing. Um, I don't have a gravel bike and I, um, this is probably not the time that I need to start getting a new bike or getting into a new thing. Um, but maybe the gravel roads will be open for riding a little bit. You know, I don't know. I don't know if that's like a safety thing or not. Like if that's like, if you're going slower, if it's safer, I don't know. That's teach their own on their quarantine cycling, uh, policies, but it did sound kind of appealing and kind of fun. And I liked some of the adventure aspects of it and being off-road, but not being like so technical. But anyway, check it out. Girls Gone Gravel, Apple Podcasts. I just saw today it, it popped up on that feed and it's coming out every Tuesday. So by the time this episode airs, the second episode will be out and it's worth a listen. I'm excited because I have actually a ride I'm planning to do on my gravel bike this week. So I'm saving it so I can be like in the element while I'm listening to it. So I think that'll be exciting. And the second thing Live Feisty has going on is they are continuing the happy hours. So there's going to be about two Zoom meeting happy hours each week here. So actually tonight. So if you guys are listening to this on Thursday, which is the day that we release the podcast, um, there is a Live Feisty Happy Hour with Trini Willerton, who started the It Could Be Me campaign. And so she's covering bike safety and a lot of those topics for you tonight. If you've already been to a Live Feisty Happy Hour, then you will get the link for this one um, already emailed to you. If you have not, head to livefeisty.com. There's a little button at the top that says Happy Hour. Go to that, and then you can find the link to sign up, and you'll be getting those Zoom links for for future happy hours and for this one, which is Thursday tonight. So if you miss it, then go to Live Feisty and sign up so that you don't miss the future ones coming up. I know our timing on these, it's very, very... Um to be very quick. Hopefully you're listening on Thursday. The other thing that's going on is one of our sponsors, Zelios, is having a sale. 25% off everything at teamzelios.com with the code SPRING25. So if you want in between your apple cider vinegar hair washes or your dog shampoo hair washes, definitely check out Zelios skincare products. Hey, Alyssa, you have, you have your hand up. I learned a fun fact this week, <laughs> Haley. I wanted to make sure I got this fun fact because I've actually, I heard it last week and I forgot to mention it to you. Did you know, so I, as I've been, I am still doing some activities outside from my home and I've noticed that the sun is like quite strong and I'm like, this is like kind of crazy that I feel like I'm getting sun exposure and it's, you know, early April. And so then I heard on the news, the weatherman told me that the sun at this time of the year is at the same angle that it is in August. And so that, and he, he said, that's why you feel like the sun is very strong right now. And so I was like, boom, I'm right. I do need to be like reminding myself all the time to be using my Zelios sunscreen because I'm not making this up. It's like a legit sun exposure time. That's great advice. Zelios sun, sun. Yeah. That is included. The sun barriers included that 25% off. I've been going through chamois cream, the betwixt Shammy, is cream the right word? I feel like maybe that one isn't the right word. Shammy lotion. Shammy lubricant. Um, <laughs> the lubricant. What else can I, what word? Is it very moist? Um, I love all, I love words. <laughs> Betwixt chamois cream. It's also 25% off. It's great for all your indoor riding in case you are sticking to the great indoors. And I also really like the, the body lotion, Alyssa. It's, um, it has... It's really nice and it's very dry here in Montana and I go through lots of lotions. So definitely go to teamzelios.com. Use the code SPRING25 for 25% off. This the sale only goes through Saturday, April 18th. So you only have a couple days. If you're listening to this on Sunday or Monday, you're just going to have to use the code IRONWOMEN and get 15% off. So you still get a good discount 
get, we get a little credit and uh, you'll, your skin is, your skin and hair is still going to be great. Haley, we also have a mailbag question that came in this week. So people can always write into the mailbag at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And you did some great research for us this week on that question. This question came in from KB and she wrote in asking about Iron Man's transgender policy. So she referenced the 2019 rules and regulations document, which pointed to a link that no longer exists. So I think the broken link had something to do with the Iron Man website redesign that happened last year. And I was able to find a transgender section under the policies tab of the updated website. So it is up there now. I was able to view it today and we'll be, we'll be sure to include that link in our show notes so that anyone else who wants to find it, it is there. So Iron Man's policy, it does read that in order to compete in an Iron Man event, any athlete who has completed or plans to initiate a gender transition or identifies as gender non-conforming, including those in the process of taking hormones, must meet all the current conditions and criteria established by the International Olympic Committee and the World Anti-Doping Agency and shall consent to the disclosure of their clinical treatment to such person or persons as may be required to review uh, for compliance in accordance with Iron Man's transgender policies. That sounds very complicated, but we're going to break it down here for you, Alyssa. So the IOC policy, this is basically what Iron Man is saying is their policy mirrors the IOC policy, which was set in 2015. And that says that those that transition from female to male are eligible to compete in the male category without restriction. So female to male transgender, you can compete immediately. Where it gets more complicated is those that transition from male to female are eligible to compete in the female category under a few conditions. The two biggest conditions are that the athlete has declared her gender identity as female, and that declaration cannot be changed for a minimum of four years for sporting purposes. And the athlete must also demonstrate that her total testosterone level is below 10 nanomoles per liter for at least 12 months prior to her first competition. So, the IOC has actually said that it's in the process of amending these guideline, guidelines and the new policy was expected to be released after the Tokyo Olympic Games, which were originally planned for this summer. Uh, I think the reasoning for the delay was not wanting to change a policy so close to Olympic qualifying. So I'm not sure if the postponement of the games has affected this timeline. I imagine it has. So maybe we'll expect some new guideline guidance from the IOC coming in the next couple of years. The Ironman policy does say that any request by an athlete to participate in any Ironman or Ironman 70.3 event in accordance with this policy must be made uh, no less than 60 days prior to the race in which the athlete wishes to compete. So getting, giving that background, that was the background to my question, Alyssa, KB's or KB's questions, KB had asked, she had a couple questions specific to the previous policy, which is very similar to this one. First, she asked, are athletes required to speak to Ironman, even if they are just planning to transition medically? So the wording in the Ironman policy does say if an athlete plans to initiate a gender transition, that, you know, they use that wording, but I don't really read it as you need to tell Ironman before you transition. I read it as if an athlete is currently competing in the men's category, but wants to compete in the women's category, the answer is going to be no until they can provide the gender identity, identity declaration and evidence of testosterone below that 10 nanomole per liter for 12 months limit regardless. So I don't know why there would be any benefit in telling Ironman before you've met that criteria, since you know, the answer would be no. So there's, I wouldn't, even though they have that wording in there, I don't see the why question two, the syntax suggests that if athletes identify as gender non-conforming, regardless of intention to medically transition, they need to be in compliance with the policy. What would that compliance look like? So it seems like under the IOC rules, the policy is only going to apply to gender non-conforming athletes wanting to compete in the women's category. So I think the compliance would be a de declaration of gender, most likely a gender marker on a driver's license, maybe a USAT license, and then evidence of that 10 nanomole per liter testosterone level for the past 12 months below the 10 nanomole per liter testosterone level. KB's third question was basically, what are the rules for transgender athletes in Ironman as far as I can tell? 
So basically, I think that an athlete does have to take additional steps of notifying Ironman. They have to provide the gender declaration and medical information that is requested. And the Ironman policy does also state that once you've made that gender transition declaration and it's been accepted by Ironman, the declaration cannot be changed for racing and registration purposes for a minimum of four years. And continuing eligibility will be conditional on meeting the criteria set forth in the policies, but could also be monitored at random through four cause testing or by the request of the Ironman Global Medical Advisory Board. So I think if an athlete also is, is taking a testosterone blocker, they want to be sure that it's also not included on the WADA prohibited list. And if it is, that they get the necessary therapeutic use exemption before they compete. In short, is this short? I don't think I can even say in short. I've given a very long answer here, but these answers, they are my interpretation of the IOC policies. And I did also consult with a transgender triathlete, but I would definitely encourage anyone who's interested to do their own research, read the policies for themselves and know that things are likely going to change. It does seem like there is quite a bit of additional work if you want to uh, race as a transgendered athlete, especially if you are male to female transgendered, it's going to be extra work. It isn't something that you can just decide on one day. It's probably going to take at least 60 days and up to a year of planning. Haley, thanks so much for digging into that for us. And KB, thanks for sending the question. It was actually sent back in February and we just wanted to, we knew that this is a topic that people don't know too much about, including like we didn't know too much about it at that point. So we really wanted to make sure we did the research and brought you that information that was correct. Um, but we're also thankful KB for sending that question and trusting us to kind of bring you those answers as best we could in that time. And to go along with that, we actually wanted to bring, um, another interview to kind of complement that and offer some more information on the topic. That's right, Alyssa. Megan Youngren ran the U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials in Atlanta this past February. The Alaska native finished the race in a very respectable 250-27 and 230th place. What made Megan's race historic was that she is the first openly transgendered woman to race in the U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials. Megan tells us about the race in Atlanta, the media scrutiny she faced, her thoughts on Idaho's recently passed legislation that bars transgender women and girls from competing in sports, and just what it's like to race and train in Alaska. We'll have our conversation with Megan right after the break. Triathlon is certainly hard on your skin, without a doubt. That was Teresa Helsel, dermatologist PA and accomplished triathlete. Earlier this year, Teresa came on the podcast to offer skincare advice specific to triathletes. Teresa's two biggest tips were to avoid sunburn and chafing. And luckily, Iron Women podcast listeners get 15% off all Zelio skincare products, including Sun Barrier SPF 45 zinc-based sunscreen and Betwixt Athletic Skin Lubricant and Chamois Cream. Use the code IRONWOMEN at teamzelios.com for 15% off and use Zelios products to protect your skin during all your swim, bike, run fun. Hi, Megan. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi. So you live in Soldotna, Alaska, a town of fewer than 5,000 people and about a three-hour drive from Anchorage. What is life like in Soldotna right now? Well, I mean it's even more shut down than usual. So what is usual? Like I, I, if you go for a run, do you usually see people at all? Or is it like, uh, I mean, I'm just trying to, I mean, I feel like I live in a small town, but it's still much, much more than 5,000 people. Well, I see more people now. That's for sure. <laughs> just because people are home and enjoying the outdoors. Yeah. Because it's one of the few things you can do is go out and get, you know, your daily exercise in, but you see, you'd see a handful of people. Yeah. Are the restaurants all closed and everything? Uh, a lot of them are fully shut down, but I think that's by choice. You can still do takeout and, you know, delivery, but it doesn't necessarily make economic sense for all of them. It's tough. 
And so, Megan, we're recording this about five weeks after the U.S. Olympic marathon trials, which by some accounts had as many as 200,000 fans lining the streets of Atlanta. So sounds right. Yeah. (laughs) As someone who, you know, it sounds like is used to fairly isolated running and isolated living. Did you like, was that a shell shock for you? What was that like to have that kind of crowd support out there? Absolutely. I mean, there's a picture somewhere of, of me in the pack I was running and you can just see all of us, not just me, it's just smiling. And there's the woman closest to the crowd giving high fives, which you look at that picture now and you think like, oh no, like that's not social distancing, but then there's so much that's, but anyways, like that was just like, I California International previous to this was the biggest race I'd ever been in. And that was crazy. But then this was just something else. Like there was just so much energy out there in that course. Like I had heard a hundred thousand before and I thought, geez, that's a lot of people. And yeah, probably accurate, but like just everybody just screaming their lungs out for like three hours, like all, but like that last two miles of the course just completely lined with people. Like, Totally. Yeah. Shell shocked is probably the right word for it. Shell shocked before that it happened and then shell shocked after, like you said, that because our perception has changed so much since then. We're like, wait, no, people aren't supposed to be that close. But it yeah. is it is incredible. We got that experience. So you and I did meet briefly before the start of the trials race. And I think we were talking about the course and the forecasted winds. And you had mentioned that during a race in Alaska, it was so windy that you could barely like stand up. So how did the wind in Atlanta compare? Well, it turned out it wasn't quite as bad. And I don't know if that's like wind angle or, you know, buildings blocking it or the course. However, it turned out it wasn't nearly as bad. It was still bad, but it was like... 80% is bad. I didn't have to like close my eyes so I wouldn't get sand in my mouth and, and like turn my head to the side and all the whole, the whole experience of, of running through a sandstorm. So that was nice. Megan, I have to ask what was Haley like in the moments before, like, I, I know you don't know Haley too, too well, but you've had a couple brief interactions with her now. So Pre-Olympic marathon trials start, like counting down to the start, is Haley classic, Haley Chura, happy and bubbly going into this race in those moments before? I I feel like it was a pretty reserved bubbly if she was bubbly. Oh, that's so nice. (laughs) Like, you're just like, you know, holy crap, this is happening was the vibe I got. But I think I got that from pretty much everybody, aside from some people that were... um, I don't know what the word would be, but, you know, it's just like, yeah, I'm unfazed by this. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. When I'm racing with Haley, she is always one of my go to people for pre-race. I will say that because she's always upbeat and like, will. I've had issues in the moments before starting guns and things like that. And Haley will help me solve them. So she's a she's a good person to have around um, in those moments before. But. I've never raced uh, Olympic trials race with her. So I wasn't sure if the different caliber set tones for a different Haley. You two are making me feel so special right now. Thanks. uh, (laughs) Well, I mean, everybody before the race is like, nobody is there to like, you know, take shots at each other, be rude or anything. Everybody's there like, can you believe this is happening? No, it's amazing. It was just like, just a profound experience from start to finish. Like it, it wasn't what I was, I don't know what I was expecting, but it wasn't what I was expecting. It was just awesome. So the experience was, you know, great. As you said, like in that sense of what it was, but how did you feel about your performance on the day? You know, looking back on it now. Well, with, with, with this level of hindsight, I could have gone a little bit faster, but I mean, that was a hard day, but I I couldn't have done like a, I went into it thinking, oh, that course won't be too bad. I could do like close to the time I qualified with. And I think that would have been pretty miraculous to get anywhere below like 247. And I qualified with a 243, 52, 51, something. And so there's a big differential just from the course. And that win was something else. So... 80 percent of Alaska wind is still a lot of wind is what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was it was hard. And I mean, I, I could go I could talk about this for 
hours. But I guess the long and short of it is, is that I wanted to run a smart race because I've run a lot of very uh, brave, also, you know, another word for stupid races in the build up to this. And I really wanted to just go out there and stick to a plan and and finish strong. And I went over the finish line and I was like, well, you know, I had a little bit more left in me, but that's that's fine. I didn't sandbag by any means. So I'm happy with it. Sounds like you embrace the experience and it won't be your last marathon, which that's kind of a good no. thing to like want more. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I doubt that there will ever be another chance to run on that exact course again. But like I would love to run that with a little bit less wind. <laughs> that would be quite nice. Uh, so I read that you got confirmation you'd be allowed to compete in the trials the Monday before the Saturday race. That yeah. seems like a very stressful timeline. Were you stressed? Okay. Uh, well, I mean, you know, there's some things you can't control. And you can tell yourself that it's, you know, I don't have any control of this and it's going to be fine. And that might work for a while. But I think the weekend before I was definitely feeling like, okay enough this just isn't going to happen like i've tapered for no reason i peaked for no reason and i don't even know if there's a place where i can go run a marathon here just for fun and i don't know if i want to go down there and run the citizens race the day after because that would just feel like a i don't know a cop out i thought i mean i thought all this through and definitely that monday morning i was just i was feeling pretty pretty down about it but I mean, it turned out well. One of the coolest things about the trials was how it turned so many women into hometown heroes as they got to represent their local communities on a really big stage. So you were part of this, not only representing Alaska, but also the trans community as the first openly transgender woman to race in the U.S. Olympic marathon trials. So what did you think of the media attention? Well, I mean, it was totally overwhelming for one. For the most part, like... Like the interactions that I had with people from the media were very positive. And it was definitely like it definitely felt like sort of a balancing act to like like who who is it that like I'm going to talk to? What am I gonna say? All of those complicated things where it's like mostly I'm just here to run. So there was definitely moments in time. So to go back one one question of yours, like in the build up to that race, not knowing if I was going, I was doing all this sort of like you know, here's my story, everybody stuff on top of the fact that I didn't know if I was going. So I'm just sitting there trying to present a calm, you know, measured face and also just internally just like, oh, my God, like what what's going to come of all this? This is crazy. As far as the media attention goes, like, I don't like it. it it's I I really like there's there was a bunch of good like coverage, like not necessarily like. I'm trying to think of the words here. Um, there, there was, there was coverage that I was like, Hey, you know, that paints, you know, a pretty fair picture. And then there was the garbage that was just like, you read through it and you're like, hey, I can see what you're going for here from like a mile away. And like, you're not doing a very good job of it. And I'm sure that works great for your target audience. But like, I don't like being the fodder for your garbage, like fake journalism. And that, I mean, it hurts. And then you, you couple that with the people who eat that up and talk about that online. And it's just a, you do your best to ignore it because you know, it's a bunch of crap and you know that all of those people are on the wrong side of history. And you just, I don't know, let it be because you're not going to convince these people otherwise. You just run, right? I mean, you did get yeah. to run, and and you were featured on the NBC television coverage mid-race. <laughs> did you know the cameras were on you while you were running? Oh yeah, oh yeah. So so this motorcycle comes by, and I'm thinking, oh cool, they're you know gonna show like the whole back of the pack, like hey, you know, there's so many women running this. Let's show the whole pack and send the motorcycle by. So I, I waited a little bit when I went by. And then I had this sort of sinking feeling in my gut when it like slowed down and came back to me. I'm like, of course, NBC is going to do a little thing about me. That is something that NBC would do. And they stayed on me for like a really long time, like 20 minutes. And that sucked because one, nobody looks good running a marathon. No one. 
everybody has that look on their face like I'm dying. You know, you, you hope you don't have to, like, clear your nose or spit. Like, you have to get gels in. You have to drink water. You have to deal with, I mean, that course, like, not to not to complain, but, like, the pavement was not very even. So you had to watch out for, for tripping over anything. You didn't want to bump into anyone around you because that'd be rude. And they followed me from just after one of the, so the first turnaround. So that was just after the first water station until the next water station. And in that time I had planned on taking a gel, but I had no idea when I was going to be on TV. And I full well knew that they were following me because they were going to do a thing on me. So there was no way of knowing at what time that would be. And so I just didn't take that gel. And then I missed my water table for the, uh, for right after that. So it really screwed me up. And it's an honor that they featured me. You know, they, it's cool, but like, also it's yet another thing where it's just like, I'm just some runner. Like there are so many people that needed more attention than me. And that felt kind of gross at at the end of the day that it was like, do, you know, watching through the broadcast of it, they did so much focus on, things that had nothing to do with the marathon. They full on, like no picture in picture, just had the talking heads up there at different points in time. And it was just like, just show the runners and show the runners that are in the lead pack that are, you know, that have a cool story that, cause there are a ton of them. And so, you know, at the same time that I really, really appreciate it. And it's cool that they featured me. It also is just like, I don't really look at, at myself as some, you know, special person. Like, I don't know why there's that much attention. I don't, it just sort of boggles my mind that that's what they chose to spend their time on. And 20 minutes is when you're running as fast as you guys were both running that day. That's a big chunk of the race. Like that's a considerable time to have that pressure and that view on you and just, you know, the inability probably, I mean, it's a motorcycle there with a camera and the cameras are huge. Right. And like, so after that, were you able to recenter and kind of, yeah, you know, definitely. use the crowd, like were the crowds part of just recentering and getting back on into your own kind of mind on things? Definitely. And even while the motorcycle was there, like once, once you got used to the fact that it was there and really I, I did have enough nutrition overall, it just messed with my plan. And I was just sort of grumbly about the fact that I wasn't on my plan anymore. And that messed me up. But Anyways, the the crowd was just like uh, Walmsley called it electric in an interview. And I didn't really have the word for it until I read that interview. And I was like, that is precisely it. Like you could just feel the energy coming out of that crowd. And there were so many people like there was this bridge that you went over and there were people on like the sort of concrete barriers there was like one or two rows of people standing behind them and then there were people sitting up on the edge of the bridge and it was so loud like i can't imagine that people there didn't have hearing damage afterwards and on the last lap i don't know if you heard this but somebody had a boombox there playing eminem's lose yourself really loud and i at that point, like I had gone from like, you know, this is really painful and this crowd is is great and everything, but I'm kind of, you know, it's kind of not helping anymore to just like, I was full on cracking up. Like, like really? Like who, who, who decided to do that? I, I love you for doing that. It's, it's so stupid and funny. Like I might know who that person was actually. I'm so my, an athlete, one of the athletes I coach, Tiencia James, she took Marta, the train in that day. So she works as an ER doctor and had been working a night shift. And she came in and she brought her boom box, like this huge boom box out. And she was out there and she was dancing and playing stuff. So that might, I, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I know one, at least one oh person who had God. a boom box out there. But I think electric is a good word. I mean, it was, it was like anything I've ever done and I've done quite a few races. So, uh, that is a, definitely a very good way to put it. Have any other trans athletes reached out to you since you were so visible and you have done so much media even though you are a little reluctant about being the center of attention have people reached out to you just because they see, have seen you and they've heard from you and have they asked about your race at trials uh a handful 
not it hasn't been some some huge thing. I've talked to a few people here and there and but it's not like it's some huge thing like there isn't a huge trans community up here. Obviously, there's no one up here. So um, very small segments of the population like the trans community aren't going to be a there's not going to be a huge group get together in a town of like 5000 people, maybe in Anchorage. But like, it's definitely been one of those things that the people that have reached out are like, hey, like, that's cool. Like, I, I wonder what what things I can do. And, you know, I wonder how far I can go. And that was sort of being trans aside. My whole thing is that it's like, you know, you know I'm just going to try for the next crazy thing over years. Megan, we did want to ask you about um, some current events going on, because last week, Idaho passed two bills, one prohibiting transgender people from changing their birth certificates to match their gender identities, and a second barring transgender girls from participating in girls and women's sports and legalizing the practice of asking girls and women to undergo sex testing in order to compete. We've read that these bills will likely face lengthy legal challenges and broader society seems to be moving toward endorsing transgender rights. Do you take this kind of legislation personally at this point? Well, you sort of expect it to happen. Like there's definitely an appetite for it from from a subset of people that have nothing better to do. Because like as soon as somebody like actually understands that if you go through hormone therapy or like if you start hormones before you ever even start puberty of you know the sex that you do not want to be like you don't have there's not some mystical advantage and so as soon as you actually understand that and i I hope more and more people understand that the whole thing just seems almost sort of like that that feeling you get when you watch handmaid's tale where you're like you're disgusted and angry in equal proportions and you you just feel like like exhausted and and flabbergasted there's so many words you can use to describe it but that that sinking feeling of like really like you're you're really doing that and it's such a you know i'm sure it'll it'll be a thing that i don't know what comes next but there's always going to be the next thing that that subset of people moves on to when they're when they're done, you know, when they realize they've lost the battle on whatever, you know, I, I have words I'm not going to say. I I really feel for for trans kids that are going through this in high school, and I think for the most part, kids their age are really supportive. It's just these crappy adults that want things to be the way that they thought things were in the past, but they never were. There's always been trans people. They just weren't, it wasn't safe. And and they live a life of agony because they knew that if they were to come out, they would be ostracized or worst. So I guess I'm, I'm off on a little bit of a side note here, but that it's not that I take it personally. It's just that I wish that they would spend their time like actually like, I, I guess the refrain is always, you know, we're doing this to protect women's sports and no, you're not like, that's not what this is. Like there are things that you could do for women's sports that you do not do. This is obviously not the reason why you're trying so hard to pass these things. And, and, and that's all the aside from like, what about these, what about cisgender women who don't present, you know, femininely? or who don't have a body that matches, sad to say, probably a lot of the time a male coach's expectations. And they're like, okay, we're going to flag you. And and then what? It's a slippery slope. I don't think it's a real problem. Uh, this is my opinion, of course, but it, the whole thing, I mean, it's something that I was, I was too scared to go through with in high school, but I knew that I needed to do. And so my heart goes out to these kids that are brave enough and, and to a point lucky enough to be living in 2020 and not in, you know, the mid two thousands or the nineties or the eighties or whatever. But I, I just, 
I wish I wish that the sort of like anti-trans lobby would just give it up because there's there's so many excuses for why trans people can't compete and and that's something I deal with now still but but none of them really hold water like the iron Sorry, woman, no that was it was it's very we love hearing your opinion and the iron woman podcast is produced by live fighty spicy media which also hosts the outspoken women in triathlon summit and so last year the summit featured keynote speaker dr rachel mckinnon a master cyclist and transgender rights advocate and dr mckinnon had was had lobbied for allowing transgender women to compete without adjusting their hormone levels saying the competitive advantage from elevated testosterone is less than many physical advantages like height or shoe size. Do you have an opinion in the debate over whether transgender or intersex women should be required to take testosterone blocking medication in order to compete in sports? Yeah, I do have an opinion on that one. You should probably, I, I don't, I think that's a stretch. Uh, if, if, I, I don't think that you're going to see that I, if you, if you can't take hormones yet and you want to compete at like a small event, that's one thing. But like, if you're, if you're competitive at a higher level, like, yeah, there's an advantage to taking testosterone and you can see this when trans women take testosterone blockers and then their their times get so much slower. Like, I, I don't think that it's fair otherwise. And there's a world of debate over whether it's fair with it, but I think the science shows that it is. Thanks for weighing in. There is a world of debate there, and we've gotten a lot of questions from listeners and things like that, so we definitely wanted to make sure we brought them your perspective and, and your view on that. But switching gears again, you didn't grow up running, and you were and still are a cross-country skier, and you did swim as a kid, So, but you didn't run your first marathon until 2017 when you were in your mid-20s. So would your younger self be surprised by your current running career? <laughs> I think if uh, if I had some kind of information transversal between now and then, I would have started running earlier. <laughs> As uh, I definitely hit a wall with swimming that I wasn't really getting any faster, and a lot of that was just different biomechanical things like lack of flexibility. And I, well, I was gaining a bunch of weight after like middle school. That didn't help. But I definitely have like I my shoulders are crap, like they I can dislocate one of them it it's bad I'm surprised I can still ski I can't swim anymore I physically cannot swim anymore so that sucks but running works great like if if I had known then like you you always want to believe that you have more left in you when you're going for something competitive and so if if little me were to see you know Olympic trials qualifier me I'd be like, oh, yeah, okay. I mean, that makes sense, but I didn't know that I'd be doing it running. You started your marathon career with one of the hardest 26.2-mile races available, the Equinox Marathon in Fairbanks, Alaska. The race includes a mix of roads and trails and more than 3,000 feet of climbing. What drew you to that race? <laughs> well, that was after a couple years of doing, like, in the uh, – in 2016, I did what's called the Alaska Climathon, which is at a ski resort in Girdwood, just south of Anchorage, where in a certain set of time, you try to go up the hill as many times as you can, take the tram down each time. I think I made six laps during, and then we quit early, but that's, you know, some obscene amount of elevation gain. The year before that, I did a all uphill half marathon, and it was like flooded and muddy, and I... I think the reason why the Equinox called out to me is because one, it's ridiculously hard and everybody there is like, got that same thing that's going on at the trials. They're like, look at this disaster. Like this is going to be terrible. I'm so excited. And the fact that it had a trail portion, uh, cause that, that's what I was doing all the time. Then, still when I, when I can, that's all I'm doing. And, uh, to to go back to that, it's it's really hard. I like a challenge. I have not done well at the Equinox yet, and I am hoping to this fall. But you know, who knows if it will even happen? 
who knows if I'll have a good day then. You never know how it's going to turn out. On a previous episode of Iron Women, we have also interviewed Keegan Randall, and she really sold us on coming to Alaska to run the Mount Marathon 5K in Seward, Alaska. So I guess Alaska is pretty big, like now that I'm thinking about this question that I have. But um, how much do you know about that race? I I don't think I did like search results. I don't think you've done it. Um, no, I haven't. It scares me. Okay. So if our listeners were going to make a destination trip to Alaska for a race, would you suggest that? Or would you suggest the Equinox marathon? I know they're like, you know, entirely different events, all of that, but sell us on one. Okay. Well, I, I will, I will sell anyone on the Equinox marathon because there is not a waiting list to get in with Mount marathon. It's sort of like those super exclusive ultras, Except instead of it being like you have to get a qualifier, I mean, there are qualifiers available, but the people that get them at races like Bird Ridge will, um, like, good luck trying to beat them. They're very good. The The mountain runners up here are very good. Mountain Marathon is a limited entry race. So barring something insane, like last year there was a big fire and it was smoked in on the day of the race, or, you know, there's a pandemic like barring insane things like those, it's a very exclusive thing to get into. So you either have to grow up doing um, the kids race and you have to have done that for X amount of years and then you can get into the adult race and then you have to do that for an X amount, X amount of years before you can get in there every year without. Anyways, this is all to say that Met Marathon is hard to get into, very dangerous, very difficult and very fun if you know what you're doing. So when she says, you know, you should come do that, it's, you know, with every every caveat that, yeah, it's it's really cool if that's something you're into. It is a hell of a race, but you can also just go do that. You can just go to Seward and run that hill, which I have done, and that is fun. But I don't know that that's a race that I'll ever actually do because I like trail running. I like mountain running. I like technical stuff, and I like going fast on those different terrains but when you do that and you're racing against people unless you're way out ahead of everyone else there's a lot of people around you and you want to be safe like this is that that trail is no joke you can get hurt going down it and the the most talented people do that hill like they'll live in Seward or they'll live in Anchorage and go over there and they'll do that hill hundreds if not over a thousand times before they ever, maybe not before they ever race, but over a period of years of getting better at racing that it is something else. And also it's on the 4th of July. So, um, if you want like a truly Alaska Americana experience, go to Seward, if not even to race, but then to support the race. And I have done that. It's really cool. It's, it's not a very big town, but for that one day, there's like, I think I've heard 40,000 people. It is, it's an impossible amount of people in a small town. There's no way that there'd be social distancing there now, but yeah. That sounds like my cup of tea. And, and I like, I appreciate your realism there, <laughs> but uh, I like the cheering side. I I'm, I can be in the 40,000 when we're allowed to do that again. So Megan, you obviously like the challenging courses, but in the year leading up to the trials, it does seem like you changed your focus to faster courses and going for that 245-00 qualification time. How did you mentally handle switching between fast and slow courses and setting goals for each since time isn't always the best indicator of performance? Yeah, yeah that's a good question. So I did all my training uh, almost every one of my runs over the summer at our local ski trail system, I mean, cross country trail system. It's only skiable during the winter. And then during the summer, you can run or bike on it. And there's a 14 miles of trails and then also a single track system throughout it. And that's where I do my training. So adapting to road running from that is actually very challenging because there's a huge amount of rolling hills. It's, it's all dirt. Some of it is not, perfect some of it is actually excellent for the most part it's excellent they do so much work out there it's i love that place being able to move to to roads and go fast on that from very little like direct like i am doing a structured workout on pavement or on a track training i i don't think that very many people do that i think some do 
I think more than I realized initially. It is, it's a challenge because if you go out and you're running off a perceived effort, like you know what you're capable of doing and whether your body is capable of withstanding the stresses of a different, like if you run on pavement after only running on dirt for a while, it can absolutely tear up your legs. And so you hear a lot of runners from Alaska say, oh, I don't, I don't run on pavement. It's hell on my shins. I get shin splints. Doesn't feel good. My knees hurt. I just don't do it. And so I think there's like a secretly like a lot of, and maybe this is outside of just Alaska, but a lot of people up here never end up doing road racing. And so the only reason I went into road racing is because, well, mostly because of the Equinox. I wanted to be able to be ready for the paved portion of that because there's a big downhill paved section. And if you don't run on like a downhill paved course at all and lead up to it, you'll do that section, which is, I don't know, I think it's 18 to 22, which is a very painful portion of any marathon. But this is after the brutal, like, like 2,900 feet of the 3,300 total feet gain right after that. And if you run down that, like you can end up having to drop before you get way before you get to the finish line. Cause you're, you're just one big shin splint. So moving to, I wanted to run a Boston qualifying time in 2018. So two weeks after running the Equinox, then I went and did a flat road course here and my legs were just shredded from the pavement running. Like if it were on trail, I might've been fine, but I, I, I went out at like three hour pace because it felt good and then ended up finishing in a little over four hours when I was trying for sub three thirty. So that's one of the, the many times where if I had been actually balancing things out, it would have been a lot better, but you know, swing for the fences, see where you get. I've listened to you talk about your training in a couple other interviews, and I was surprised to learn that you actually run by power. So Mm -hmm. I'm curious why you choose this over GPS. And can you tell our listeners kind of what is involved in it and like how it, how it even works? I'm our listeners are probably used to maybe listening to people cycle by power data and metrics and stuff like that, but not necessarily running by power. Okay. So a little tiny aside first during the trials race, I was running with, um, I ran with a group of women until 12, but I was chatting with someone like mid-race and I was like, what time are you going for? And she's like, oh, I don't know. I'm just sort of seeing where I end up. And I'm like, she's like, what are you going for? And I'm like, oh, I'm running by power. So I have like a, I want to get near 310. She's like, oh, like a triathlete. And I was like momentarily like almost offended, but then like almost like I hadn't even considered that. Um, <laughs> anyways, great. it's, some, it's something that I hadn't <laughs> tried until late July of, of last year. And I mean, part of me was just afraid that it was going to fall off because I'd take it trail running and then I'd never see it again. And that hasn't really been a problem. So that was the thing that made me hold out for a long time to get it. But I knew that it would be really good for the way that I train, which is a whole bunch of rolling Hills, like on dirt. So like a tempo run for me would be like seven miles, like 800 to a thousand feet of gain. And none of that is one big hill. It's, you know, up and then down. And so heart rate for me was, I mean, that's its own story. It wasn't really helpful. So I was just running by perceived effort, which is, which is mostly doable. And it's a really healthy way to, to work on things. And it's something that I don't think it's just for runners. I think that's a huge deal for everybody for training and racing. You should know what level of effort you're putting out, whether your body can sustain that and sort of really get to know yourself in that regard. But power is nice because it's a number that keeps you honest in terms of perceived effort. So it took me a while to, to actually honestly trust the thing, even though I knew it was probably more accurate than my GPS, especially because I was having GPS problems. And so it's a, it's a foot pod type of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, I found it to be really helpful and I'm getting better with it than, than when I started out with it and, and sort of understanding it's hard for me to get to that full level of power going on downhills, but that's okay for me. I don't, I don't run downhills hard 
more than like a once a week. And even during a race, like I try and temper that, especially at the trials. I was like, okay, I can't, I can't go too hard on these downhills because I don't want any stabilizers to go out before the end. I, I guess it, it's just a way of both overall and like within like small chunks of time to know how hard you're working. And sometimes that's a much bigger deal than a pace that means literally nothing when you're on a bunch of hills. So it's like, oh, you went out and you did like a 10 miles at 7.15 a mile. Like, oh, that must have been like a moderate run. And you'd be like, no, that was like I obliterated myself out there. I don't think you understand. Like <laughs> that was really, really hard. And to actually have the ability to go back and look at the data and say, that does show that I worked my ass off and I should probably cool it the next day. And then the biggest thing is when you're going on an uphill super hard and you're like, oh, I should probably pull the pull my foot off the gas a little bit here because I am expending way too much effort and I will not be able to survive the end of this hill or the next hill if I'm doing like half again the amount of power that it takes me to run at like near marathon pace on flat ground. You've said that you're looking at tackling some ultra marathons next before maybe returning to the pavement again to search for, you know, that, that perfect marathon that we're all looking for. So what is it about the trails that just keeps calling you back? I, I guess, you know, the, the best run is one where you just sort of get lost in it. And that rarely happens for me on the pavement. And that happens to me all the time on the trail. Like you just, you sort of, you know, there's lots of cliche and, and cheesy ways to talk about it, but, you know, you become closer with nature. You you get to, you know, actually feel like you're part of, you know, that environment. You know, that, that's all silly. It's just to say that it, it's fun. It's a challenge. And so ultras are, so far, every time I've gone to a higher distance, I've done better at it. And, like, I'm going to try and do some 5Ks this year and do a little better at that, but, like, I'm not good at that. I did, uh, I think, one year of track and field in, like, middle school. And <laughs> I, I know those shorter shorter distance things were not good for me. And then I think I ran, did I run the mile? Who knows what time I got? It wasn't good. But they had us out running on, like, on concrete. And that sort of made me think that I didn't like running. And it turned out that, like, if you would just let me loose on the trails, which was happening a little bit in high school... Most I was mostly running on the beach and stuff in high school, but like, if you would actually let me loose out there, if 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 cross country running hadn't overlapped with swimming and I had actually gone out and tried it, I probably would have fallen in love. Then it's fun, it's joyful. Have any ultras caught your eye yet that you're looking at, or is it with the world we're living in now? You don't even want to pick a race because we don't know when things are happening. Yeah, I did a I did a 50k last year up in Fairbanks, and it was a it wasn't a 50k it was a six hour timed event i stopped at 50k because the trails were flooded and they had like a six mile loop and then you could do a one mile or not a one mile it was like a third of a mile loop or something like that that you could you could do a certain amount of those to catch up and like the the short loop was even more flooded than the full loop and i didn't think i could get another full loop in before the time cut off so i was just like one got my grilled cheese and was like going home and uh I saw this woman out on the short loop and she's like, are you giving up? I'm like, I, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> um, but she she ended up finishing up enough laps to get more than me and get first place. And good for her because I was just done. Like It was a long drive up to Fairbanks and it was just progressively more flooded as the uh, as the day went on. And that was just that was rough. So I think what I'm going to do for my first 50 miler is one I was already going to do a time trial before all this happened now I'm especially going to do it just on a day where one I feel good and two the conditions are good so it doesn't have to be on race day if race day turns out to be a torrential downpour and just go out there and and try out that distance as far as doing someone else's you know some established 50 or 100 like there are so many options. There's so many good options. And a little part of me wonders, like, you know, 
now that I'm so out in terms of being trans, like there's no way that the race director isn't going to know who I am. Like, do I like what, how do I manage that one? But, you know, I'll be open make sure that they, if they have a posted policy one way or the other, that, that I respect it. And if they don't make sure that I contact the race director beforehand and be like, Hey, is this cool? Like, I'm sure it will be like, for the most part, it's like, like, Hey, do you like need my medical history? I can send you it. Like if you need it, follow all the rules, you know, just go out and, and try it out. But I think that ultras are just a a crazy intense challenge, and that does sound like something I would like doing. Well, Megan, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing so much insight. And you have me like falling in love with the trails again now. I'm like, I need to go for a trail run. So uh, I know our listeners are probably going to feel the same way. And like you said, it's kind of a nice nice place to be these times. This time time in history so thank you again yeah for sure thank you this is Haley, and i've spent most of my swimming career squinting at pace clocks or trying to catch a glimpse of my watch during intervals if you're like me and love knowing your swim splits but hate finding a clock there's a better way form swim goggles are the first premium goggles with a smart display that shows your metrics while you swim You heard that right. Form goggles have a see-through display in one of the eye cups so you can see your splits, pace, distance, or any other metric right in front of you. I've done a few workouts with the Form Swim goggles, and the coolest thing is once you press start, the goggles actually know when you're swimming and when you're resting. There's no need to press another button until you finish your workout. Want to learn more? Head to formswim.com. Haley, so this past weekend on Amazon Prime, I believe, there's something called Expedition Alaska, and it's about the adventure race, Expedition Alaska, and actually featured in this documentary is Abby Perkis, who was a guest on Iron Women um, episodes ago, so you can get to know her a little bit. She's, She's featured in that, and I was watching, and it just blew my mind because we had just talked to Megan. She talked about like all the trail running she does, you know, it gives you like great visuals for some of the stuff she's talking about. It it talks about at the end of expedition Alaska, they do the Mount marathon course and you get to see that. And like, I just have a newfound respect and I'm a thousand percent positive that runners and athletes from Alaska are really badass. So I'm excited to see Megan like come onto the trail scene more and to see what she'll do there. I agree because I was just trying to think about athletes we've known who've like raced in Alaska or from Alaska have lived in Alaska. I feel like considering Alaska's like population and the fact that I neither of us have spent a lot of time there, we've interviewed quite a few women with a connection to Alaska. So definitely some uh, some impressive humans come out of that state. But I'll have to check that out. That sounds like a great trainer uh, movie to be watching. Expedition Alaska. And Abby Perkis. I had no idea she was a movie star. I can't wait to see her in person since uh, since I've chatted with her. And, um, and she's an impressive human as well. Yeah. And I have to say, watching her race through Alaska, I, I sent her a text that basically that that was enough for me. I don't think I I don't think I need to go race in Alaska. Oh, uh, right. Right. And then, Alyssa, you're going to be doing the heavy backpack race in Alaska when this is all over. You're going to be like, man, I actually like that heavy backpack race in Alaska. Let's make it as difficult as possible. Glaciers seem terrifying. So that's all I'll have to say about that. But everyone should go watch it. And a huge thanks to Megan for coming on and chatting with us. We really enjoyed that. And Haley, we just got to keep soldiering on through this heavy backpack race. And I'll talk to you again next week. Bye, Alyssa. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women podcast is a live feisty media production.